He gets us a $100 million marketing campaign to rebrand Jesus Christ. Their goal, according to the creators of this multi-million dollar marketing program, to reach an audience that isn't currently being reached, and, they say, to raise the level of respect for Jesus. But will it? Or could it be that the opposite is going to happen, and it will garner a disrespect for Jesus? Please join me today for a really important episode about the He Gets Us movement and find out why I feel that not only will this movement not succeed, but it may just do more harm than good for Christianity. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello, and how are you today, my friend? Thank you so much for joining me. Fall is quickly approaching, and I don't know about you, but I I do love the fall. It's one of my favorite seasons. I don't like what comes afterward, but um, I decided to break out the fall decorations because we actually have some fall-like kind of chilly weather today. So uh, I guess I'm going to give in and accept the fact that the hummingbirds left and it's time to get ready for fall. But um, it is one of my favorite times of year. So I, I hope that your summer, as it comes to a close, um, I hope it's. I hope you had a really good summer, and I hope you have a wonderful fall ahead of you. I had different plans for today. It wasn't this, but um, I really feel that this is more important. I had another episode that I had recorded a while ago. And I was going to just, you know, record the intro and the outro to it. And um, I came across something on TV the other night that really alarmed me. I did not have a good feeling about it. And so I spent some time investigating it a little further. My husband and I were watching television the other night and a commercial came on. And the commercial was, of all things, about Jesus, which obviously is very unusual in today's society. But the commercial was about Jesus. I don't remember exactly what they were saying. Um, You can pull the commercials up online if you haven't seen them on TV yet. All I know is that I was hearing, I want to call them woke keywords being thrown around that you that you hear often on social media or the mainstream news, words such as justice, injustice, inclusive, crossing racial boundaries, just all these things that for me instantly were red flags. You know, something just didn't feel right about what I was hearing. So it was a promo for something called He Gets Us. I had never heard of it before, but I I looked into it some more and apparently it is a very big movement. Um, It has actually a hundred million dollars in funding for this movement. Um, It's going to be airing on televisions, radios, social media, 
and um, internet. So it is out there. So if you look at He Gets Us on YouTube, it has garnered millions of views. Um, (laughs) 5.5 million views, 40 million views, 2.1 million, 24 million, 26 million, millions and millions of views um, for this He Gets Us movement. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that because it seems after, again, doing some more research, that a lot of churches and Christians have jumped on the bandwagon. So I definitely think it's worth talking about. I, for one, I have not jumped on that bandwagon. So please hear me out before you think, oh, wow, isn't she kind of harsh? Because there's a little more to it. It's not that cut and dry, um, at least for me. As I said, I, I didn't have a good feeling about it right away. But again, I thought, well, you never know, right? Like it might just be you, Rebecca. Don't judge it until you've, you've looked into it some more. So I have been looking into it. And so what it is, is the concept is that they are trying to quote unquote, rebrand Jesus to a world that's turned off by what these are not my words, but what has been coined the hypocrisy and the divisiveness of Christianity. Um, there are many who claim the name of Christ that are exactly that. And as you, if you know me and you've listened to enough of my episodes by now, you know when I say claim the name of Christ, I'm implying that they may claim the name of Christ, but they may not truly be Christians, born again, regenerated people. Because there are a lot that claim the name of Christ, but they just are not Christians. And there are genuine Christians also who are still sinners who mess up from time to time and are hypocritical and are divisive. So we're all, whether believers or non-believers, guilty of that at times. But as believers, we are held to a much higher standard. So that being said, I have an article here from Christianity Today, and it says $100 million ad campaign aims to make Jesus the biggest brand in your city. He Gets Us, an effort to attract skeptics and cultural Christians, launches nationally this month. This was back in March of 2022, just a few months ago. But Christians still have questions about how the church markets faith. And so they, they talk about these commercials. Um, it's a Christian advertising, the biggest ever Christian advertising campaign that went national. Again, commercials, online ads, and billboards. And these are targeting millennials and Gen Z. And it says here, with a carefully crafted, exhaustively researched, and marketed message about Jesus Christ, he gets us. Now, the thing about this is it says that this campaign is going to spend $100 million. People, by the way, people have not been able to completely track the donors. It's, it's almost kind of secretive, anonymous. It says here that they were donated by a small group of wealthy anonymous families. Putting the campaign in the same financial arena as big-name brands like Old Navy, TD Ameritrade, and Mercedes-Benz. The video ads, some of which are already garnering millions of views on YouTube, feature striking black and white photos and a stirring piano track. 
Made under the direction of Michigan-based marketing agency Haven, each ad focuses on an aspect of Jesus' earthly experience with which today's The Struggle is Real crowd might resonate. Jesus was judged, too, and Jesus had fun with his friends, too. And the ad directs viewers to hegetsus.com, where they can choose four ways to engage. Chat live, text for prayer and positive vibes. There's a red flag. Sign up to join a small group with Alpha or click through a Bible reading plan on the YouVersion app. It says there's a marketing term for when someone who views an ad ultimately buys the product, conversions. Christians have another definition for that word, turning a life over to Jesus. It's this tension between selling and converting that prompts some Christians to object to deploying business strategies in church or using the secular marketing playbook to promote Christianity. And that is exactly where I stand, if you're wondering at all. Um, I think this is a very dangerous thing that we're doing. We're playing with fire, and I feel it's going to backfire. Um, it's going to do more harm than good to to Christianity, to many, many souls. So um, they're not, and they're not trying to promote a single congregation or a denomination because according to this article, churches all over the country and across denominations are involved. So basically, as far as I'm concerned, right now they are treating Jesus like a consumer product, but I have an even bigger concern than that. The story of Jesus, of course, it's worth sharing. Absolutely. Does it need to be sold? Well, that's, that's a whole other uh, question. And, and we know, obviously, Jesus knew the best way to spread the word was to live a life worth following. So that's, I think, the intent of this $100 million campaign. Um. And it comes from, if you want more information on it, just, just Google it. But it, the $100 million for He Gets Us comes from the Servant Christian Foundation, according to this ad by Christianity Today, a nonprofit backed by a Christian donor-advised fund called The Signatory. It says, both decline to name the donors who helped envision and pay for He Gets Us who want to remain anonymous. So um, at the very least, that's that's very interesting. Um Last year, it says the Servant Christian Foundation approached Bill McKendry, founder and chief creative officer at Haven, concerned that too many young Americans are leaving Christianity and that more people were growing hostile toward faith. Their idea, a national media blitz for Jesus at a scale that no church could afford. So that's kind of the, the intent of this marketing campaign. But here's my concern after reading the website, and actually I, I will go on there and I will read you a couple examples. Obviously, Jesus does get us. He, he does know us, absolutely. Um, he's our creator, right? He, he knows us. And it says here on the website, he gets us, aims to free the name of Jesus from those who use it to judge, harm, and divide. So... Um, it's divided up into categories and then it has these featured articles. Jesus, um, here's one. Jesus invited everyone to sit at his table. Did Jesus face criticism? How would Jesus be judged today? I'll read a little bit from Jesus invited everyone to sit at his table. 
It says we were looking at the life of Jesus to see who he really was, and we noticed something peculiar. He spent a lot of time around the dinner table. Many of his most frequently quoted passages and standout stories happened while sharing a meal with others. As we looked closer, we noticed that his company around the table was a remarkably diverse cast. He shared meals with outcasts. He spent time with the self-righteous religious elite. He cared for people who had broken every rule and were seen as uncleaned. He dined at the table of the wealthy men whose riches were won with lies and corruption. He crossed over racial boundaries to eat with people who did not look like him. He invited everyone to the table, no exceptions and no expectations. Now, I don't believe there were no expectations. If you read more of the Bible than just the fact that he sat and ate with sinners, He ate with the sinners because he expected repentance at some point, okay? He reached out to bring them forgiveness and the gift of repentance. So let's talk just a little bit about eating, okay? The customs of sitting down to a meal with someone, especially back in Jesus's time. Obviously, and we know this, we've carried this with us throughout the ages, that eating at the table together, eating together is a time of usually conversation and and fellowship. And so back then in Jesus's time, eating with someone established a relationship. It was a, a covenant or a relationship of friendship. It signified approval. You liked the people that you were with, you approved of them. And so you would also sit down and recline at the dinner table with them. But Judaism back then also believed, especially the the religious elite believed that whenever you ate with someone, you were conveying acceptance of that person. And so they kind of quarantined themselves from those that they didn't agree with or did not approve of. Whether they rightfully didn't approve of them or wrongfully, um, either way, they, they would kind of separate themselves. So, But Jesus, on the other hand, he preferred pursuing relationships with people like this. Why? Because he wanted to lead people to God. Okay, he wanted to lead people to the Father. And so, of course, the religious elite of the day questioned why Jesus was choosing to dine with whoever it was that he had chosen to dine with, um, the marginalized, as we would call them. Jesus' response was this in Matthew 9, verses 12, the second half of verse 12 and verse 13. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance repentance, okay? Jesus had their repentance in mind when he sat down and he ate with them. Now, what he wasn't saying was that the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, the self-righteous, he wasn't saying that they didn't have need of spiritual healing because they did too. But what he was saying was that only those who knew their spiritual need could be treated, okay? Because people like the Pharisees, they didn't believe that they were sick or they were in need of healing, um, that they needed a doctor. But Jesus was calling to the ones who realized that that they were in need of a savior, that they were sick or, well, actually dead in their sins. Um, that's why he dined with the people that he dined with. It certainly wasn't to be politically correct. 
So anyway, it says it was radical at the time. No one was that inclusive. And here again, here's all these words that they're just trying, you know, lure people in with the words that are used now that, that really, um, get people's attention. The religious do-gooders began to whisper behind his back. They called him a friend of sinners. It was supposed to be an insult, but Jesus wore it proudly. He was a friend to everyone. And what do friends do? They eat dinner together and share in each other's lives. Strangers eating together and becoming friends. What a simple concept. And yet we're pretty sure it would turn our own modern world upside down the same way Jesus turned his around 2000 years ago. That's really why we made this video in the first place. We see division and broken relationships everywhere. We see judgment and hypocrisy on the rise. We see people who claim to be followers of Jesus taking his open invite and turning it into an exclusive club. The name of Jesus has been used to harm and divide. But if you look at how we lived, you see how backward that really is. Jesus was not exclusive. He was radically inclusive. What would our world look like if that were the norm? If strangers became friends over the dinner table as they did around Jesus. And then they have their scripture references, Mark 2, 13 through 17, Luke 19, 1 through 10, Matthew 9, verses 36 to 38. And then they have the option to explore. And then they connect you to a reading plan where you read about Jesus. Now, as I said, everything, it's true. I, I'm certainly not going to argue with that. Okay. It is very true, but the problem is that they're only showing one side of Jesus and they're leaving out the very important other side of Jesus, the other half. And so you can't share half, I call it half truths, um, with people because Jesus was more than that. And so they're not really getting a true concept of Jesus here. Um, some more articles here. How did Jesus deal with injustice? Did Jesus have fun? Did Jesus struggle to be a role model? Was he ever lonely? Here's another one. What would Jesus think of teen moms? It says the story of Jesus's birth is told every year around Christmas, and it's almost always told the same way. What new perspective could we bring to a 2000 year old story that would stir people's hearts and minds? Then it hit us. Instead of looking directly at Jesus, what if we looked at the woman who gave birth to him? Jesus was born to a teenage girl, a girl who was so scared and forced to travel far away from her home right before she gave birth, a girl who was at the mercy of a man who could have publicly shamed her or ever even had her killed, but who instead protected and supported her, a girl who gave birth in a stable because she had nowhere else to go. There is such a rich story there that gets lost in the neatly packaged nativity on someone's shelf. So we told that story, and we told it in the sincerest way we could by using pictures of real mothers giving birth and by having a teen mom read the voiceover. Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere. His life was not some fairy tale. It was very real. His first few minutes in his world looked like anyone else's, crying in the arms of his mom, his teen mom. After reading that, I thought, well, you know, <laughs> let's back up a minute here because Mary's conception, first of all, was not through the act of sexual intercourse, specifically premarital sexual intercourse. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, God cares about the teen mom, of course. There's always repentance and there's forgiveness for the act of fornication, which is how that baby was brought into being in this case. And we know um, sex outside of marriage, outside of the marriage bed is in fact a sin. And many uh, young teenage girls end up pregnant 
long before they're ready to be parents. Um, and the fathers are long before they're ready to be dads. You know, Mary is a different story because, well, back then things were different. They got married at a younger age. Um, they were more mature at a younger age. Different time. Different culture. Mary was engaged to Joseph. She was betrothed to him. She was going to be marrying him. And her conception was not from another man. Okay. She was a virgin. God himself planted that baby within her. Okay. So we have to be careful of equating too much today's teen mom, because as last, as far as I know, there have been no other um, conceptions, immaculate conceptions other than, than Mary. So any other time that a teen mom has a pregnancy, it's because she was doing something that she wasn't supposed to be doing. So we have to be very careful of that because if there's people and people are out there, society is out there looking for a reason to justify sin, to justify bad choices. Okay. We have to be careful as Christians in the Christian community to not give them those excuses to hand them to them on a platter. And I feel like this may be what we're doing if we're not careful because you can read a lot into that. Uh, again, because there's more to the picture, but people are going to fill in the blanks in their own sinful, ungodly way. Um, yes, again, Jesus cares about the teen mom. He cares about that baby. I mean, that baby came to be only through God, by the way, and no child is conceived without God giving it life. And life, we know, begins at conception. God allows life to begin through all kinds of circumstances, many of which we don't understand. But he does understand. That's why he's God and we're not. We have to trust him. But anyway, I just, yeah, that that part with the teen pregnancy did not quite set well with me either. Because again, I'm just trying to look at it through the eyes and the minds and the hearts of someone who isn't saved. And they're looking at it saying, well, see, yeah, you know, teen, teen moms, there's lots of teen moms now. So he's, he's all right with this. Well, he would rather that you weren't a teen mom. He would rather that you were married, that you have sexual intercourse within the bounds of marriage. That's what he wants for you. I know many, I worked at a pregnancy care center and I had many a young girl come to me hoping to be pregnant, trying to get pregnant, 13, 14, 15 years old, okay? Because they figured be someone that will love them and they'll have someone to love and the, the welfare will take care of them. Oh yes, I heard it all. And, you know, they'll be able to, to, to live and their baby daddy, of course, would was supposed to support them, but ended up most of the time not. But um, girls not ready to have children or make these decisions. But we have to be careful with that, that we're not giving people the idea that it's okay to go out and, and fornicate. That didn't really sit right with me anyway. There, there's so many other things, but um, my, my mind is just like full here right now. So excuse me if I'm stammering, but so basically what you have, what I'm seeing is a $100 million effort 
to bring people in based on the fact that Jesus was just like them. And so he can relate to us and let's, you know, let's come to know that Jesus, let's embrace him. So you, okay, you, you get people in based on that premise, based on not sharing the complete truth about just who Jesus was and is. Okay. Because there's nothing about, again, his holiness, um, his expectation of sinners to repent. There's nothing in there in this campaign yet. And so I thought, okay, well, what's going to happen if people buy into this, right? And they check out Christianity further or what happens? I, I thought to myself, what happens if people contact the, the numbers for people to talk and pray? I thought, what are they, are they okaying? the cultural norms now, and I mean stuff like abortion, um, this critical race theory nonsense, the transgender movement, the, you know, same-sex marriage, you know, where are, where do they stand in a, in a lot of these things that are causing the divide between people? What happens if they email or, or talk to them? So I did some more research. Here's uh, an article from religiondispatches.org. It says, and it's titled, Behind the Inclusive Sounding Ads of This $100 Million PR Blitz for Jesus. It's the same old conservative Christian fantasy. This month, a $100 million advertising campaign and website have been launched nationwide to help a particular figure rebrand. In the current climate, just who do you think might warrant such a massive PR blitz? My own answer, the author says, would be no one. Oh, and the author's name is Chrissy Stroop. She says, my own answer would be no one, because this kind of spending to prop up the reputations of the already highly privileged strikes me as one of the more disgusting excesses of capitalism. But whether or not you share my convictions, I'm guessing you didn't come up with the answer, Jesus. Yes, that Jesus, a man who's not even alive, at least not in a way that's accessible and demonstrable to those of us on this mortal plane, and who is, despite the release of yet another major documentary last year, almost certainly bigger than the Beatles. Despite all that, some conservative Christians are apparently $100 million worth of concern that the enduringly popular Mr. of Nazareth just isn't doing it for some of the kids these days. Hence the rebrand to make the ostensible son of God cool and relatable. And see, her words, not mine, but this is exactly my first concern. And this is just a comment here. This is the problem with the state of the church now and the state of our society that people have been trying for decades, making Jesus cool and relatable. They have been ashamed of the gospel because I feel that this PR campaign is definitely being ashamed of the gospel. They are, they do not want to share the entirety of who Jesus is. Okay. They want to get people in as if God can't send in those that he wants sent in, by the way. Um, sovereignty, sovereign. But um, that's a that's a different episode. So, yeah, cool and relatable. And that's exactly how it comes across to me. I don't know about you. Again, please prayerfully um, do your do your research. This person, again, mentions that the identities of the donors have been kind of kept quiet. 
So she goes on to say, Gen Z is the least religious generation, and I'm pretty sure this tech-savvy, culturally aware, and hashtag very online generation is not going to be, quote-unquote, one back to Christ by, for example, a heavy-handed quasi-parable about Jesus inviting everyone to his table and being heartbroken that some refuses invitation because he wanted everyone to be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. On a superficial level, the He Gets Us spots have high production value, but that's where their sophistication ends. Their prose and delivery of their voiceovers are classic evangelical, managing to be somehow both vague and overwrought, in addition to being just well obnoxiously concerned. Meanwhile, the music is straight out of the manipulative megachurch worship services tug on the heartstrings playbook. As someone who grew up partly in seeker-sensitive evangelicalism, I ought to know. So here is someone who obviously they're not Christian, I'm going to say. They get it. They see it. They see through it. And yet so many Christians don't see through this. So this campaign really concerns me. It really does as a Christian. It says the ads also feature mostly people of color, but interestingly enough, in the photo of Signatory's board of directors featured on its website, I count 11 white men, three men of color, and one white woman. (laughs) Don't think that disconnect will go unnoticed by Zoomers who have excellent Google skills and don't tend to take ideological messaging at face value. Above all, the ads which direct viewers to HeGetsUs.com radiate an aura of phoniness holding up a seemingly pro-social justice and inclusive vision of Jesus, who frankly comes across as the black friend of the people behind the campaign. Tellingly, the ads avoid mentioning any actual hot-button issues by name, ones that I just mentioned a few minutes ago, or taking any direct political stances while leaving viewers to wonder, all right, it's obvious that you want something from me, so what is it? If there's one thing I know about Zoomer, she says, it's that they'll see through such ham-handed efforts in a heartbeat and then probably mock them in meme form. And I think most of the people that are just all gushing over this and starry-eyed over this, from what I see from a lot of the comments I've read, are those that claim the name of Christ, Christians, which I don't get, to be honest. I, I don't get it. I'm sorry. Okay, so here's the part here. This answers some questions I had. It says there's a more direct way to approach the question of what the He Gets Us folks want out of the people they reach, however, and that's to interact with their website, which offers chat and text for prayer or positive vibes, as they put on there. Um, they offer chat and text for prayer options to visitors. I was first alerted to the site when my friend Artemis Stardust tagged me in a Facebook post about the PR project, while my in- initial reaction was along the lines of, WTAF, I soon found myself sucked into investigating the bizarre phenomenon further. Stardust told me they had checked out the chat feature on HeGetsUs.com and described their experience as follows. She said, I asked some questions about how churches conceal abuse and was told multiple times to seek answers in the context of a church community, to read the Bible and pray, and to be willing to listen. They added, rather than engaging with my concerns, a staff member kept sending quotes from the Bible or links to resources on how to find a church or get their prayer team to pray for me. Hearing that, I decided to check out the chat feature for myself. Posing as an evangelical college student struggling with my gender identity, I had a similar experience. The staff member I chatted with urged me to tell my pastor and my parents my secret with seemingly little regard for whether it would be safe for me to do so. 
To his credit, he told me he wasn't a licensed counselor and that I should see one, but when I said I was afraid that a counselor might lead me astray, he clarified that I should definitely only consider a Christian biblical counselor. At one point, he quoted male and female. He created them a passage from the book of Genesis, frequently used by evangelicals to justify their position to trans rights and same-sex marriage. So I guess in the chats, they are at least pointing them, I I feel, in the right direction. Um, That made me definitely feel a little better, but that doesn't still mean that this thing is is the right way to go about sharing Christ with, with others. Meanwhile, Ryan Stoller, the article continues on, says, a child liberation theologian and another friend of mine took a different approach to the He Gets Us chat feature, publicly posting screenshots to Facebook. Adopting the persona of a conservative evangelical angry at the ad spots, faux social justice oriented approach, Stiller notes that the marginalized are people like gay people and people of color and asks, so you support them? So basically this person said, okay, you're talking about Jesus, you know, reaching out to the marginalized. Well, for us, the marginalized are the black people, gay people, and and so on. So he asked them if they support them, support that. In response, the staffer explained that the point is for those very people to be drawn in and changed so they conform to conservative evangelical values. And I guess these were the quotes. This is what the the chat person from He Gets Us said. It would be our hope that all people, regardless of skin color or sexual orientation, come to know Christ and live in gospel community. Ultimately, to be transformed by the radical love of Christ to live in close relationship with him, which also means to abide by his word, what we believe the Bible is clear about, speaking to several of the things you just mentioned. The the person said, I worry people might get the wrong idea, like your video on your website makes Jesus sound like BLM or Antifa. Doesn't that start people off on the wrong foot? BLM, Black Lives Matter, is Antichrist, so shouldn't we keep Jesus as far away from that as possible? And then the person from He Gets Us said, I honestly couldn't say either way. I don't believe that our ad is meant to make Jesus sound like Black Lives Matter or Antifa, as he sure as heck was not. Rather, it's our hope that those sort of people would engage us in order to be radically transformed by Jesus. Still, Stoller continued to press the point, asking why the campaign was making Jesus seem like he'd approve of Black Lives Matter. Stoller challenged the staffer. The wrongly judged video, so the this video titled Wrongly Judged, says Jesus and the disciples roamed the hood, (laughs) challenged authority and law enforcement, called them outlaws, all paired with images of minorities. So roaming hoods and disobeying the police are now being glorified. In an attempt to clarify, the staffer insisted that that lifestyle is absolutely not being glorified by this campaign. He then explained, rather, it would be our heart to see those people who are living that lifestyle as they're living it in our world today, repent and turn from that lifestyle. So at the end of the day, the author says he gets us amounts to both an egregious misuse of $100 million, an amount that could do so much to, for example, alleviate the pervasive problems of homelessness or unaffordable medical care in the U.S., and a predatory type of manipulation. Thankfully, the manipulation at least is obvious, so we can take some comfort in how easy it is to see through. The He Gets Us campaign has right-wing evangelical written all over it. You heard it here first, folks. This new PR blitz for Jesus is going to be a flop, and American secularization will continue apace. So this person is kind (laughs) of saying it for me because, again, 
my concern when I first started looking into this. They're trying to trick people, okay, into coming to Christianity, going to church, into a relationship with Christ. Trickery is never acceptable. Making Christ seem like he um, is one of us in those ways, roaming the hood, please, um, talk about disrespectful. That's never the way. It's never the way. And see, we have lost this mainly as a church, and that is to preach the gospel unadulterated, not watered down. This, this movement to me reeks of being ashamed of the gospel. And as Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not being ashamed of the gospel means preaching it all. The good news of Jesus Christ, and it's called good news because there's bad news. The bad news is that we are depraved sinners. We are at enmity with God since the fall in the Garden of Eden, okay? All born sinners, all at enmity with God. And because of our sin, we, the wages of sin is death. We will earn our way right into an eternity in hell, separated from God. But Jesus, Jesus who came down, yes, he came as one of us. He did suffer the same things we do. He can relate to us. Absolutely. And the Bible talks about that. But Jesus also called upon people to repent. He called the marginalized to repent. He called the self-righteous religious elite, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. He called them to repentance. He called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them the children of the devil. Okay. Jesus spoke of hell and eternal damnation as did his disciples, his apostles. And so you're going to have many disillusioned people if they do buy into this to begin with. When they finally get there, like these people, and then they hear the, then they hear the actual truth, the rest of the story, which they left out in this big $100 million PR blitz, okay, this campaign. And I agree with that person. $100 million could have been used for a lot better things. That's my opinion. They're going to be disillusioned, which is the problem we have now within the church. The seeker-sensitive, the um, author of this article that I just read, she grew up in one of those churches, okay, that says, oh, we got to do whatever we can to get people in. Let's start playing secular music outside the doors. I was at a church that did that. They had a family fun day. You know, and it was a community thing. They had the bouncy house and the stuff there for the kids and face painting and cotton candy and snow cones and hot dogs and, you know, all these wonderful things. And then they started blaring secular music, music by Foreigner and some of these other groups outside of the doors of the church. And I was like, really? You really feel that you have to resort to that. You know, this to me is the problem with man thinking that somehow he is the be all to end all the people's salvation. That God is just so passive in our salvation. He's just sitting back waiting for us to make all the right moves, which we always make the wrong moves. Let's be honest and come to faith on our own because somehow we were smarter than the people who don't or more good-hearted than the, the people who, who reject God or whatever, leaving room for boasting, right? Um, guys, if you preach the gospel 
If you're a pastor and you're listening to this, preach the whole entirety of the gospel. And God will send those to your church that he has chosen since before the foundation of the world. Because the gospel is the means to the end for people's salvation. And because we don't know who the elect are, you got to preach it to every man everywhere. Okay? You got to preach it. And those that reject, do so because they chose to. Those who accept, do so because God gave them the gift of faith to believe. We don't come to Christ on our own. We'll always flee and go the opposite direction. You think we would have learned our lesson to not do these things, to not present um, a watered down gospel. And that's exactly what this is. Again, it's being ashamed of the gospel as far as I'm concerned. And you're going to have some angry people when they go in and find out that, that um, they, they came in this way, all inclusive, all inclusive. And then you're turning around and saying, well, not all inclusive because, well, if you don't repent of these sins, if, if you continue to embrace the homosexual lifestyle, okay, and you are having sex with someone of the same sex, if you continue in this adulterous lifestyle, committing adultery, if you continue to fornicate um, sex outside the marriage bed, it's it's a sin. And you need to repent of this sin. You need to repent of the life style that you're living and choose to live for God and, and, and live in the way that he calls us to. And that is fleeing from sexual immorality. I'm calling sexual immorality what it is, fleeing from it. Um, all these things, then they're going to say, well, oh, so much for the inclusivity. You, you can't present something in a way that's just so, again, we're trying to make it palatable. Jesus palatable for the world. He was very offensive to those who were perishing. Jesus was not liked. He was hated because he spoke truth and truth in ways that people didn't want to hear. And, you know, I just want to say something here because it seems like I'm only mentioning um, various types of sexual immorality because there are plenty of other types of sins that separate us from God that, that keep us out of heaven. But it seems that the people who really have a problem with with Christianity, um, it seems that the issues that they are constantly referring to are sexual in nature. Um, they always go to the, the gender issue. They go to the homosexuality issue or, or, you know, the fornication issue, sex before marriage. They refer to these things as reasons why Christianity is so, in their words, hateful and exclusive. Because Christianity speaks out against those sins. It speaks out against sexual immorality. It calls sexual immorality what it is, sin. It calls it out. It brings it to to light. It, it sheds light on the darkness of sexual immorality. And of course, those who are not surrendered to Jesus Christ do not want that darkness exposed. So they resort to the hater label the exclusive instead of the politically correct inclusive. But there are plenty of other sins, as I said, that separate us from God, that put us at enmity with him. Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 says this, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, 
selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's plenty of other sins here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Revelation 22, verses 14 and 15 say, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Notice that they use the words practice or live like this. We are all... (laughs) Um, a, a lot of these sins that I just mentioned, we we are all guilty, whether saved or unsaved, of many of these sins, okay? The difference is there are people who, this is their lifestyle, this is their way of life, they practice them, and they practice these sins without remorse, without any regret. They think it's okay to live like this. They don't live in truth. They don't live in God's truth. They have created and invented their own truths, basically become their own God and um, live whatever way they seem fit. They do what is right in their own eyes. So yeah, there are, there are plenty of sins that will keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. But again, it seems right now that the big thing that people really are hyper-focused on are are the sexual sins. So that's why I was referring to them mostly because that's what a lot of people who've made comments about this, the He Gets Us movement, who are against Christianity, these are the things that really they get hung up on, unfortunately. It just It just breaks my heart to see the church and Christians embracing this. This is not a good movement as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I have one more article here. It's from 2psrefugees.boards.net, and it's talking about He Gets Us. It's titled He Gets Us, Rebranding Jesus for Gen Z. And this says, a group of Christians funded by anonymous donors plans to spend over $100 million to move Jesus in sales terms. Those millions will pay for TV spots, billboards, and online ads that tell viewers one message about Jesus. He gets us. It might be the largest campaign of its kind, but he gets us. It's hardly the first time Christians have adopted secular media strategies for spiritual ends. And it talks about tele-evangelism and and viral videos and, and things like that. So they're talking about the national media blitz um, at a scale that no single church could afford. But the author goes on to say, to paraphrase the oft-used Gandhi phrase, I like your Jesus, I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your, your Jesus. You can get all the good attributes in this He Gets Us marketing campaign, such as love, respect, and community, without all the terrible side effects of too much modern-day Christianity. And they go on to say this, until they curate their pulpit preachers with the same slickness, they're curating their Facebook page. For example, on the Facebook page, if he gets us, it, it says no hate speech or bullying, degrading comments about things like race, religion, culture, sexual orientation, gender, or identity will not be tolerated. 
So the author of this article says, try telling that to the preachers regularly bullying, bullying, okay, yeah, women for having abortions or trans kids for wanting to live in a body that doesn't betray them daily. Let's not forget, it's not their body that's betraying them, guys. It's their mind. It's their thinking. So the author goes on to say they want young Americans to stop leaving Christianity unless they're going to spend equivalent millions on eradicating the hatred and you live my way of the Bible, the anti-abortion murder rhetoric laws, the anti-LGBTQ policies and laws they've been passing, the anti-immigrant hate, the hate preachers who call for the death of people who don't want to follow their Bronze Age beliefs, etc. Good luck with the Gen Z kids. So the things that the author just spoke of, talking about gender and um, homosexuality and, and abortion, all these things, the fact of the matter is that Jesus is very much against homosexuality, same-sex marriage, um, people killing the children within their womb. He is against reassigning gender to people. Um, people taking hormones to try unsuccessfully to change their gender or surgery to alter their body in order to try to change their gender. Jesus is not for any of those things as we know. So Jesus stands with the preachers in the pulpit who are speaking out against these things. Now, if they're speaking out against them in a hateful way, okay, Jesus does not obviously support that. But unfortunately, the word hate, just like the word bully and all these other words, they have been very much twisted by the ungodly. They have been um, used and abused to slap false labels on people in order to try to win their arguments because they always well, as far as I'm concerned, they know they lose those arguments. Um, but unfortunately, this isn't the Jesus that's being presented in this campaign. Now, I'm not saying that one needs to go right there first thing when sharing the gospel, because whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether you're cisgender, as they call it, or transgender, we all need Jesus. You know, if we don't have that relationship. If we're not, if we don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have that saving faith, we are all in for this very same fate. And that is an eternity in hell without God. So we all need to hear the gospel. So the gospel is the same, no matter where someone's coming from. But again, I'm seeing so much deception in this, this campaign. It's doing so much to make Jesus as someone saw through and their words cool and relatable. And that is not something that I feel we should be doing when it comes to our holy God. Remember, Jesus is God. God is righteous. God is holy. God is to be respected, revered, and we are to preach the gospel in spirit and truth. And I feel as though they are withholding truth and making him out to be something. Um, I, I, why, why do we feel as though we have to? That's what I don't get. Why do we feel like Jesus needs a rebranding? I, I don't get that. <laughs> Jesus is Jesus. Does that make sense? <laughs> Again, um, I'd love to know how, how you feel about this. Do you think that maybe I'm just losing my mind here? Um, 
being too critical, too harsh about this campaign? Or do you share my concerns that this probably is not a good thing for the gospel, for Christianity? So we have some comments from the people. Someone says exactly while using Jesus or the Bible as an excuse to hate people who are different may work for some. Okay. We know, um, again, hate another abused word. If you don't agree with me, you hate me. So, you know, that's a joke who are different may work for some. The vast majority of young people I know aren't really interested in that. You want to be gay. You're a POC. You're an immigrant. You want to follow religion. Fine. Do what you want. You want to use your religion to bash those who are different from you. No, thanks. Someone else said, huh, aside from the advertising slash selling a product aspect, which is distasteful enough, people get it. You don't have to be Christian to get it. I think the non-Christians get it more than the Christians. Wake up, church. Start using your discernment, please. Pray for discernment. Someone else makes a great point. One needs only to look at wealthy mega church pastors like Joel Olstein and several others around here to know that many have bought into the idea of Jesus as a product and commercial venture, and some have made millions selling Jesus. My Gen Z kids tend to be skeptical of anything that's too corporate feeling or slick. When I think slick and I think slick, you're talking deceptive. You're talking um, just not good. Someone says, and not just bash them with words or BS threats of hellfire and eternal damnation, but bashing them with real laws that limit their own ability to marry, have children, live peacefully in their own bodies, not your own body, my friend, um, bought and paid for with a price created by Christ himself. And by the way, Jesus talked about hellfire and eternal damnation as well. Someone else says, if this campaign can get Gen Zers closer to God, then I am all for it. God and Jesus are all about love, loving God, loving your neighbors, loving the outsider. I don't think there's a better message out there, right? Well, hmm. But before those commands are the commands to love God with all our hearts, minds, souls, right? And God said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And well, let's go back to the commands, right? not to have sex with people of the same sex, not to have sex outside of the marriage bed, um, to be faithful to your spouse, to flee sexual immorality, to choose life and not death, not to murder as we do our unborn children. You have to love God first in order to love others. And you have to love God and his commandments in order to love others. And being true to he created them male and female, marriage being, to, being between one man and one woman. This person goes on to say, where I get discouraged is those Christians that say, we love you, but there is no but with Jesus. Yeah, there is. Yeah, he loves you. He loves you. Absolutely. But in order to spend eternity with me, you need to believe in me. You need to repent of your sins. You need to turn away from them and live your life for me. Right? She says... Jesus loves everyone. I'm a proud ELCA Lutheran, and we welcome all. But we are one of those old-fashioned traditional faiths. Um, usually an old-fashioned traditional faith is the one that's doctrinally sound. Um, that can't attract younger folks because we get lumped in <laughs> with other less liberal churches. Um, well, if you're a liberal church, you're not the old-fashioned traditional faith. I, I pretty much bet not. Um, 
I feel so bad for this, someone else says, but I think too many churches have stood by for decades and let the radical right churches define Christianity to the culture. I hope that will change if the churches of all faiths could focus on making people's lives better and stop worrying so much about genitals and what happens inside of other people's bodies. That would go a long way. <laughs> uh. So anyway, just some comments from people, but look, we need to be careful what we embrace. I don't think this is a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. Presenting Jesus in a way that um, only paints part of the picture. You're not coming to the, the God of the Bible if you come to Jesus that way. And then you, you, the, the problem with the churches is they, they, again, they, they pull people in like that, that are still worldly thinking, unregenerated hearts, but then they, they keep catering to them, watering down the gospel, not really speaking the truth, um, doing things that will appeal to their unregenerated hearts that come to church every week to be affirmed in their worldly thinking. And it's just this horrible, vicious cycle. The church has already been so culturally influenced and so, so fearful of the truth. The truth is tough. The truth about us is tough. That's why the gospel is called the good news. To hear that we're not the good people we think we are. To hear that we're depraved mindsets and it doesn't depraved doesn't mean someone that's running around drooling foaming at the mouth horns coming out of their head it's that's not what that means it's a mind that doesn't think right it's a mind that's always bent and conditioned toward sinfulness it's directed away from god and it doesn't really deal well with reality and reason because i mean look at our look at our people and our politicians these days these crazy things that are happening all because we've turned away from God and now our thinking has become so futile, so damaged, so apart from reality. It's just, it's horrible. Look, be that one little candle. This week, educate yourself on this movement. Ask God for wisdom and discernment here. Warn others about this. Get them to think a little deeper than what appeals to their their emotions and their their worldly thinking. Again, I've said it before, right? Jesus is, you know, portrayed as this child of the sixties, skipping merrily down the road the road, waving peace signs and I love you signs and blowing kisses to people and he is a holy God who is going to come back as a warrior, as a judge and slay people. With the words that come out of his mouth, slay the ungodly. Okay? That's the part of Jesus that people don't want to talk about. They don't want to hear about. They think they got to skip over in order to suck someone in to their faith. No. That never happened in the Bible. Paul didn't do it. The disciples didn't do it. The apostles didn't do it. Why do you think they were killed? If they were giving this message about Jesus, none of them would have had to have gone to their deaths. None of them. But they were hated. They were maligned for the sake of Jesus. The real Jesus, the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible. Okay. Please don't be sucked into this. And don't let those around you be. Especially 
your kids. You want to talk, you want to reach out to Gen Zers and millennials, you reach out to them with the truth of God's word, the entire counsel of God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. As Paul said in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And now listen, he follows up with this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And as I'm reading this, you know, it's, isn't that what they're doing? In a way, isn't it wicked? They're suppressing the truth, the whole truth about Jesus and who he is to make Jesus sound. You, do they really feel that they need to make Jesus somehow sound different or better? Are you ashamed of who Jesus is? Are you ashamed that Jesus is also not just a God of love, but he's a God of wrath? Are you ashamed and afraid to tell people that? Because that's what this movement seems like to me. I don't know who all's behind it. I, I, I hope it's none of the organizations or the Christians that I look up to. I, I would love to hear comments by people like the John MacArthur's out there, the Vody Balcoms, Paul Washers, or... um. Justin Peters, like, I just would love to hear what these people have to say. I, I haven't heard anything yet. And so then it goes into the accountability. I'm going to read further here. Since what may, may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, divine nature. Okay. I think we've taken away any of Jesus's divine nature. And just replace it with human nature in this movement. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And though they claimed to be wise, they became fools." And so it goes on. But that was Romans. I just read you Romans 1 verses 16 through 22. Paul, not ashamed of the gospel. It is what it is. <laughs> Preach the gospel in your church and they will come. God will send those there who need it. Let's not forget about his sovereignty, people. He's more in control of all those things than what we give him credit for. He is. And some other verses that are coming to my mind. Remember in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus had been talking and giving comfort to people, reminding us that the very hairs of our head are numbered and that not to be afraid because it were worth more than many sparrows. And then he goes on to say, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Now, this, this peaceful, loving Jesus, who's all inclusive, all about justice and tolerance, all these things. He said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, isn't Jesus saying that he is divisive? Hmm. Why? For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So, so much for getting rid of the division part, right? Well, Jesus, this Jesus that they are touting, his own words out of his own holy mouth said that believing in him will come with division, that the sword of truth and righteousness, you know, things like not living a sexually immoral life, right? They're going to divide people. It's going to divide people because there will be those that stand for and live the truth of Christ and those that refuse to. Believe me, I've seen it divide my own family. Okay. We have to pick up our cross and follow him and do as he says and don't do as he tells us to not do, including all those commands from the Old Testament that people like to shun. Um, Jesus, don't forget, followed the Old Testament himself, including those commands in the book of Leviticus. But anyway, I'd say those are some harsh words from Jesus. I'm sure many people didn't like to hear those. He spoke divisively. Um... I think that's pretty much it. It is slick. It is deceptive. And it's wrong to portray our holy Lord in that way to get people to come. <laughs> As if somehow he doesn't have the power to bring those he wants. It breaks my heart. It really does. So again, please be that one little candle this week, okay? Be that light in the darkness because... The darkness is even in the church. Be that light in your church. Be that light in your family, in your place of work, wherever God's given you influence, wherever he's put you. Don't water down the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the whole counsel of God, the entire gospel that says we are sinners bound for hell in need of a savior, that we're not as good as we like to think we are, that the wages we earn will be death eternal life in hell, eternal damnation, words that Jesus used, things that he spoke of. Why? Because he's a loving God who would rather people didn't have to bear his wrath. That's why. Song for today. It's a song titled, I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel. It's sung by the Heritage Singers. And of course, it's on YouTube. I'll put the link in the podcast description. So check it out. I think it's an appropriate song given what I've talked to you about today. Um, also I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode, your thoughts on this movement as well, what you have to say about it. And also check out my website, onelittlecandlepodcast.com. There are some helpful links to ministries and I have all the information links, bios to guests, previous guests I've had on the show. And, um, there's a player on there. You can hear the podcast and subscribe to my email if you'd like to. I don't send out a ton of them, but um, when I get the chance here and there, I do like to connect with you and, and send little goodies your way. So please subscribe to that. And you can also follow me on Instagram at One Little Candle Podcast as well. All right. So I think that's enough for today. I pray that this episode has helped you. I, I pray that it's brought some clarity to you. 
Um, as far as this movement goes, please, again, as I always ask, do your homework, do your own research, check things out for yourself. Be that light to just dispel the darkness. So until next time, you take care and God bless.